Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the Double Edge Double Bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one, which is nothing. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to randomly select the yin and yang of a double feature. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for each episode. Let the chaos begin! I am Thomas Mariani. And I am Adam Thomas. And Adam, I've called you here because I have a very important job. And I think you could be a great safe cracker, tech guy... And oh, the getaway driver. I was hoping it was for the H or the B variety, but that's okay. Well, that's true. Um, but be, but don't worry, because I am the brains of the operation, also the sexy distraction. Because we got to hit up that bank. And we're going <laughs> to steal all that money as we talk about our topic of this week, which is heist films. And admittingly, Adam, despite naming a bunch of those tropes right there, heist films is not a genre I'm admittingly that familiar with. You know, that's one I actually am kind of familiar with. I, I was going through trying to pick out my choices and... I've seen quite a few that I honestly didn't realize some of them were considered heist films, but uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is a heist film. I'm not going to name it, just in case it's one of your choices, but it's it's definitely a genre I love. Yes, so this will be interesting then when we do our picks, but let's start with our picks, which by the way, if this is your first time listening, what we do every podcast is we have a good and bad movie that we have to choose from, um, and each of us come with two choices to pick. This week, I have the two good movies for heist movies that Adam will pick a random number between 1 and 10 for. Then we switch around, and I will pick the two bad movies based on the two choices Adam has. So Adam, let's start with the good. Go ahead and pick a number between 1 and 10, sir. Oh, boy. All right. I'm going to go ahead and steal away number six. All right. Number six, which was closest to number ten, is the seminal, at least very well-regarded, heist film for Michael Mann, Heat. And that was my fav- one of my favorite movies of all time. Adam, that w- I've never yes. seen it. Oh, you motherfucker. You gotta, you're gotta. you going to love it. I hope you love it. If you don't love it, then you know what? I quit. <laughs> and by the way, also, at number one, by the way, was Spike Lee's Inside Man, which I've also never seen. That's a good movie. The Denzel one? Yes. Yeah, it's a good movie. That's pretty yes. good. I mainly did it because as of this recording, they were both on Netflix, and I was curious to see them anyway. Especially because, by the way, we haven't mentioned, of course, that we're doing this in honor of Ocean's 8, which will be coming out the week that you guys are listening to this. Oh, boy. I don't know. I mean, I I have seen all the Oceans movies, and I think it could be fun. I love that cast, and I think it could be a fun romp. Of I like the cast, too. I just wish it didn't tie into the Oceans movies. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that necessarily works. Yeah, we'll I, see. It can't be worse than Oceans 12, uh, which is awful. Which, uh. but, which was, at one point, one of my picks. It's not anymore, but it was. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay, so I guess now it's time, Adam. Uh, so a number between 1 and 10 for me. Hmm. Yes, sir. I'll go with number eight. At number nine is a 2015 film, Mordecai. Starring oh. Johnny Depp. Oh, no. What have <laughs> I done? You say, man. I haven't Fuck seen you. that, but I regret that uh, I am now. Well, yep. And at number two, I had 1996's Bound with Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon. See, I like that movie a lot. Actually, yeah, it's, that's a uh, it's got parts to it that are pretty rough for me. I mean, I can see why, but at the same time, that's very early uh, Wachowskis, and I think interesting, yeah. especially considering in a modern context since they've come out as trans, it's very interesting. Well, you um, definitely got the worst out of the two. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. For, oh, for sure. We we live <laughs> up to that name. Um. So yes, <laughs> we will be right back with our double feature of Heat and Mordecai in a bit. <laughs> Three months ago, a Spanish museum sent a Goya painting to be cleaned. The painting has disappeared. This very bad man who wanted to fund violent worldwide revolution. Countless lives are at stake. And you would like me to find it? Precisely. 
What is in it for me, as they say? Do it for Queen and country. No. All right, Queen and country, travel and living expenses, reasonable overhead. Done. I am Lord Charlie Mordecai. Respected by all who know me. Slightly. Excellent shot, sir. Man down. Go to America and do what it takes to bring the painting back. I feel as though we've made a wrong turn and arrived on the set of a pornographic film, Charlie. And we are back with our double feature to talk about. Now, we're going to do something a bit different today. Uh, for the past few episodes, we've done the good movie, then the bad movie. We gave you good news and the bad news. Um, we're going to start with the bad one, because I don't know how much I have to say about Mordecai, which uh, was released January 23rd, 2015, uh, directed by David Coep, who you might know as uh, he's a very prolific screenwriter. A lot of big movies like Jurassic Park, amongst other things. Yeah, yeah, pretty big yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not much to say about this movie. <laughs> no, but for those of you who don't remember, this was the movie where Johnny Depp had a mustache. I know he usually <laughs> has some kind of facial hair, but specifically a mustache. Well, he's still got the mustache in the new ones. What are the, the uh, Fantastic Beast movies? Well, right, but specifically a mustache here because. This is mainly a comedy, and most of the jokes are just that he has a mustache, and his wife, Gwyneth Paltrow, won't have sex with him because he has a mustache. Uh, yep. That The, the movie just movie. hinges so much there's on... There's your movie. <laughs> this. There's also a heist, there's also the fact that he's like this uh, aristocratic playboy type who's still married to Gwyneth Paltrow, but there's a whole thing about a painting that's stolen... And he has a manservant played by Paul Bettany. And I'll say this much. There's some elements in here that I think could work either on their own or with a better lead. But Johnny Depp just, like, sinks it so I, that, hard. You know, I agree with you 100%. Do you think this movie suffers from uh, Johnny Depp fatigue? I think I think we should probably talk about that. A bit more. This is the first time we've talked about Johnny Depp. And especially mm-hmm. this is sort of peak Johnny Depp fatigue. Because historically... You had him starting off 21 Jump Street era, Nightmare on Elm Street kind of pretty sure. boy. Then and Tim like, Burton got a hold of him. Right, and initially that was a good thing. And he also did some pretty good movies in, like, from, like, the mid-90s to, I would say, but did, around early But did 2000s. he, dude? But did he? I would say so. There's I, a I, couple in there, but, I mean, when you really think about it, there's not that many, man. Like, he had, you know, three or four, you're like, oh, yeah, that's a really good movie, but... So every three or four, there was ten there. You're like, oh, fuck. Well, no, Johnny Depp, I think, is a classic example of what I like to call Eddie Murphy syndrome. In terms of, Eddie Murphy is known as, like, a classic comedian. But sure. he was only that classic, like, awesome comedian for pretty much, like, the 80s and a few different points. And he's been bad Eddie Murphy longer than he's been good Eddie Murphy. I think it's yes. the same thing for Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp had, I think, a good period, I would argue, from, I would say the early 90s to, like, the early 2000s, like, that 10-year period. But he's had far more terrible movies, and this is a great example of that, because it feels especially like such a vanity project, Mm -hmm. and it's such, like, oh, look, here's a showcase for me to be delightfully British, and just, like, how how many jokes... I I think it's just that he has a self-importance, and this is such a showcase for it, despite the fact that it is an ensemble piece. Both the movies we're talking about tonight are ensemble pieces mainly, but there's so many many times where he wants to steal the spotlight from people and just grinds the movie to a halt. Absolutely. And there's two actors in this movie that I think could have done the better job as the lead character, one being Paul Bettany and the other being Ewan McGregor. Well, and the thing is with Ewan McGregor in this movie, they want to paint him as the villain. He is the hero of this film because he wants to stop Johnny Depp from being Johnny Depp. Absolutely. and they paint him in such a bad light, but it's like, I'm totally with this dude all the time. Because I'm just like, oh. like, there's a whole scene where Johnny Depp is super drunk and going to an airport, and it's terrible drunk acting. Jack Sparrow. Right. Mm. And Ewan McGregor has the most sincere just hatred in his eyes. Yes. That I can 100% agree with. Yeah, I get behind it 100%. Well, okay, since we're talking about Johnny Depp, what do you think is the last good movie Johnny Depp was in as a starring role? 
off the top of your head. I mean, obviously we're not doing 100% research, but the last well, one you I do... Mean, uh, I would say the last movie in a starring role I enjoyed him in was probably um, Sweeney Todd. I enjoyed I him in. I was going to say that. Yeah, I was going to say Sweeney uh, Todd. Absolutely. Though in terms of the last time I enjoyed him at all was probably his cameo in 21 Jump Street, which was just funny. <laughs> yeah, that. but because of that, because he was actually poking fun of himself. Exactly, yes. Uh, which is, that's not the point in this movie. He's not poking fun of himself in this movie. He's playing it, trying to be this ultra funny and comedic lead where if he did take that little bit of a switch and make fun of himself while he's doing it, it might have been more enjoyable. It very much feels like he's trying to ate Peter Sellers, but like the worst Peter Sellers comedies, like a late Pink Panther sequel as opposed to A Shot in the Dark or any of his other much better performances. Yes, I agree. it, It feels much like that. But like I said, there's some good stuff in here in terms of, I think Paul Bettany especially, is the most consistent person. And Paul Bettany is sort of like a reverse, where I like Paul Bettany a lot, but there aren't that many good movies he's in. Paul Bettany is in Idris Elba. Yes. Very where, hard worker, doesn't yep. quite and know how to pick the scripts. Really good when he... Like, dude, the best part of Age of Ultron was Paul Bettany. And that's hard, because with that cast and those movies, and Paul Bettany can steal a spotlight anytime he really puts the work in. And in this movie, you know... Hugh McGregor, to me, steals the movie, but again, that's, you know, they're both so fantastic. But Paul Bettany just picks the worst roles. Now, I don't know if that's what he's offered, so he just takes, or he's one of those actors, just takes whatever he gets. But, oh man, this movie. I You know, we apologize the last three episodes, or last two, <laughs> for picking the movie. I apologize for this one, because this was a chore. Like, I watched it once with my wife, and my wife actually got a couple chuckles out of it. So I'm like, all right, I'll try to watch it again. Dude, it's so bad. We did this for our heist episode, and the heist Mm -hmm. is so very ancillary to this story. And it's not necessarily a terrible heist conceit of, like, oh, there's a painting that they've stolen, and they have to put a duplicate up and all this other stuff. I don't necessarily think that's a bad heist story, and I think this movie, just on a purely cold structural level is decent enough. I think it could have, like like we said, there's a bare bones of something that could work in a few performances that could, but Depp just, like, sinks into the very depths of where yeah, it could go. Yeah, right. Um, and no, it, and the painting heist movie, I've seen it done better when it was comedy, when it was called Bean. Yes. It, it's so weird, especially because also he, they wanted to make him a Lothario, and that's mm-hmm. so awkward now, knowing post a lot of his horrible domestic abuse shit. Like right. watching Johnny Depp do any of that. It's really yes. creepy. Like there's a whole scene that's aimed at him fondling Olivia Munn's breasts and it's uh, super cringy for a lot uh, of reasons. And it yeah, and even just people who are wasted, like Jeff Goldblum's in this movie and doesn't get to be Jeff Goldblum really. Yeah, I know. I mean what a waste. Jeff Goldblum, you throw him in as we've seen in like Thor Ragnarok, you throw him in and let him have free reign. The guy can steal any comedy he's in. I mean, he's so funny and so quirky and weird. But, like you said already, you had Johnny Depp trying to be quirky and weird, upstaging everyone. And more importantly, like this character is so contemptible. Like, there's a whole mm-hmm. scene that hinges on Paul Bettany as his sort of manservant bodyguard. And he's being accosted and he's about to get his finger chopped off. And Johnny Depp is trying to vacate when Paul Bettany notices him. And then he's just like, oh, I just saw you notice you over here. That's a joke that, in the right hands, could be like a, you know, he's this character who's sort of conflicting, but you're kind of with him just because his force of personality. Because Johnny Depp doesn't have that in this part, it's fucking awful, and he's a despicable piece of shit, and you don't believe the turn that he makes to save Paul Bettany. So you liked the movie, then? Is that, is that it's a wonderful at? film. It's uh, fun for the whole family. Um, especially if you love mustache jokes. Oh, just, yeah. This so many like, oh, it looks like a vagina. And the sad thing is, it's not a terrible mustache. It's a very well-groomed mustache. And they just make the whole joke. It's just like, oh, it's so hideous. So disgusting. You look like you have a vagina on your face. All this other stuff. That's what literally Charlie Mordecai's fucking mustache is with all the comedy. Well, not all of it, but a good 75% of the jokes are about his mustache. That's what you're relying on. In this movie. That's how weak this script was to begin with. Like, I've never read the novels. I know I think there's three of them, and I know they were hoping that this would be a trilogy of films. Well, that kind of went out the fucking window, didn't it? Uh, yeah, it was uh, made for a budget of $60 million, made 47 
Oh my lord. No. We're not getting the Mordecai series. Oh, damn it. I know, I you really, really wanted it. You wanted yeah. the trilogy where it's just like he had a beard and then he grew out his eyebrows. Just like, yeah, really complete dude. the facial hair trilogy. That like, you didn't? I mean, you know, it would have done so much. Um, right. But, so, where do you think, at, at this point, do you just want Johnny Depp to stop making movies altogether? Or do you think there's a way he can kind of circumvent his career into doing something that might be more tolerable? I don't want him to stop, because he's... He is good when he tries, uh, when he's given something. I don't not that it plays to his stereotypes or characters. I mean, let's face it, he's been Jack Sparrow ever since he did the Pirates movie. He has a bit of that in every role he's done. I think he needs to do more supporting roles than lead roles. I don't think he's a lead actor anymore. I just think Johnny Depp needs to be more of a supporting actor than to build franchises around him. Like, when I heard the Dark Universe saying he was going to be the Invisible Man, I, I thought that was, like, a huge, huge mistake. And obviously it's not going forward, or it is, according to recent reports, which I highly doubt. But I just think, dude, the guy has... Is he, I don't know if he's that talented anymore. I think he's just fallen in his old tricks, and that's all he cares about. He's a lot like another actor another two actors on our second feature that we're going to talk about where it's like, they just do the same old things. Yeah. I mean, I can see a lot of that. I think the bigger thing is he just needs to have a super fall from grace. It's already happening in terms of like his Mm -hmm. big budget movies have been more failing than not. Like this movie, for example, was sort of the start, I think of the really big fatigue that was going on. Um, or maybe Transcendence actually. Yeah, I I would say Transcendence. Probably. That's where it's just like, all right, we're not taking your shit anymore. Um, but Where I think he basically he just, played Skynet. <laughs> true. Um, he just needs to stop doing like stuff like that in Pirates of the Caribbean, just big movies. I think he needs to be humbled, I think is the point. Yeah, that's here, a, because, yeah absolutely. Because after, for so long now, he's been like super rich to where like, he owns the island, and apparently, like if you heard those things from his agent, and believe those apparently about like he has like an earpiece that he has his lines fed to, he doesn't even read scripts anymore. I believe that, absolutely. Yeah, I, to- I totally believe that. With certain things, um, but this, this is... This being one of them, yeah. Yeah, but uh, it, it's weird, because I, I just think he needs to really... I just think he really needs to stop doing that. Or, also, when he does these smaller movies, he needs to stop doing crap like those Kevin Smith movies he's been doing. Oh my god. Oh my god. That just allow I, him I, to do whatever uh, the hell he wants. They're terrible. Get Guy Lapointe, or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Oh my god. Dude, he needs to stop trying to reinvent himself constantly as a comedic talent or this, you know, obscure sort of artistic actor, which, dude, he's already proven himself that he has chops. Well, go on and do it again. Care again about the material. That's the thing. You can tell he doesn't give a shit anymore. He's a paycheck actor. And you can really tell in stuff like in this movie, there's a whole awful sequence where he goes to the hotel and he says, like, oh, I think we've God. stumbled onto the set of a pornographic film. Have we stumbled onto the set of a pornographic film? And the most relatable character of the hotel clerk is just like, checking in. Uh-huh. Checking in. <laughs> you want to stop fucking being an asshole to me? It's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's so grating to, to watch him here. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how much more we can say. It just uh, what about final thoughts on Mordecai specifically? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Well, final thoughts is, if you want to see a horrible downfall of an actor that you might have loved in your childhood, then this would be the movie for you. This is a terrible film. It's terrible. The jokes fall flat. There's nothing to this movie that, to me, is enjoyable. It's not funny. You don't care about the characters. None of them. It's just, And then I read this thing where uh, it was blamed on uh, Gwyneth Paltrow for this movie failing. Uh, no. No, it's not her fault. It's she has a better British accent than fucking Depp does. Yeah, it's everyone's fault. This movie should have been made. It's a terrible film. It's not funny. It's not charming. It's not endearing. It's just, it's pure hogwash. Yes, hogwash is a good way of describing it, especially if you do it in the most awful British action you could do. It's hogwash. It's, it's, it's hogwash. It's puppycock. Um, which, if you were annoyed by that, why don't you watch a hundred... And what ten minutes of this fucking oh movie? Where yeah, that it, too. It's it's fucking. It's mad. very long, and it it's goes on way too long for a very long time. 
And it's just so much of, like I said, it feels like a really bad late career Peter Sellers movie. But instead it's for Johnny Depp, who was not even as talented as Peter Sellers, but desperately wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a Vandy project that also just makes him look really terrible at the same time. There's really solid attempts from some of the supporting players to make something work here. Especially Ian McGregor and Paul Bettany try really hard. But as we mentioned, it falls completely flat, and I think I only laughed once. And it's just a point where um, they're at the auction, and the auctioneer is showing off. And here is a lovely painting, and it's very small, and it's just a little, like a little idyllic setting. And he just says... Isn't it charming? <laughs> I just Aww. found that kind of funny. That's like the one bit I kind of laughed at. And that that's how desperate I was near the end of this movie to laugh to, at something. To find anything enjoyable. To find anything. But this is, it's just a very mean-spirited, bitter movie. There's a whole sequence where Johnny Depp like, and Paul Bettany are fighting some guys in an alley, and Johnny Depp kicks a guy's gun out of his hand, and it causes Paul Bettany to be shot, and then another shot goes off and shoots a guy in the foot, and then Johnny Depp steps on that guy's foot. And it made me mm-hmm. feel bad for the Hitman thugs. <laughs> oh, that's, Your movie that's does a terrible job if you make me feel bad for the ancillary Hitman guys. <laughs> yeah. Terrible, awful movie. But let's talk about a much better movie and a much better heist movie. Heat. You want to be making moves on the street, have no attachments, allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner. He's here. I can feel it. You search for the scent of your prey, and then you hunt them down. That's the only thing you're committed to. It keeps me sharp on the edge where I got to be. Bank is worth the risk. What's the estimate? 12.2 12.2 million. You're on. You recognize the MO? MO is that they're good. If you think these guys are scoring more than passing through, I doubt it. If I'm there and I gotta put you away, I won't like it. But I'll tell you, you are going down. Whatever score they're gonna take next, they're gonna have the surprise of a lifetime. So yes, our next feature is the a uh, big feature, arguably the masterpiece from writer-director Michael Mann, Heat, starring Al Pacino as Lieutenant Hannah, who is our cop that is chasing down the career criminal of Macaulay, played by Robert De Niro. And Adam, you told us uh, in the intro this was one of your favorite films ever, so I want you to lead the discussion here, if you will. Absolutely. About this one. Go ahead, t- talk to us a bit more about Heat's plot and go into what makes it such a favorite of yours. Well, this is an, you know, I always go back and forth with my top three movies of all time because I try to, because I love so many film that I try to segregate them in genres. But if I had to pick my top three encompassing genres, this is, this has a spot in those three. Basically, the movie is a, you know, a little bit past his prime criminal. He's still good, but he's, you know, wanting to get out and he's lonely and he wants to meet somebody and. Everything else he wants out of the life, but he gets his crew together to pull off one last heist. And while they're doing it, they hear a noise. They they feel that they're on somebody's on to them, and then that introduces Lieutenant Vincent Hanna, the, the criminal, the um, detective played by Al Pacino, and then it becomes a cat and mouse sort of game between the two of them. And I hear a lot of people when they talk about thrilling scenes, they always bring up like the car chase of Bullet or The French Connection, or Ronin, I would argue that the bank robbery scene in this movie is one of the most intense adrenaline-filled scenes of all time. I think this movie is the last great performance by Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. Al Pacino is very over-the-top in this movie, but it's in a way that is endearing. It's not bombastic. I mean, it is bombastic, but it's not... Oh, Adam, what are you talking about? He's so underplayed! Because she's got a great ass. And you got your head all the way up it. (laughs) (laughs) I I love this movie. And I would say it's one of Val Kilmer's best performances. uh, One of uh, Tom Sizemore's best performances. When Tom Sizemore was still Tom Sizemore. Uh, John Voight's great in it for his supporting scene. 
Tone Loke is good in his little scene. No, I mean, no, stop! You're going to keep naming the cast at this point. They're all pretty good I, actors. I, I, I just think this is a. I, I honestly think this is a perfect crime heist drama action, whatever you want to call it. I think it's a perfect movie. Well, it's interesting because this was the first time I'd ever seen Heat. Heat was a movie yes. I knew of mainly because um, I remember Christopher Nolan talks about how much he loves Michael Mann a lot. Particularly, uh-huh. this movie was a big inspiration for The Dark Knight. And I can see. Uh, I mean, after seeing it, yes, definitely. I can see that. To the point where I'm saying, Michael Mann, you're owed money. Because he fucking ripped off certain bits pretty hardcore. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, absolutely. I would argue. But it's it's fascinating because this movie does a great job of building really a world with this sort of heist movie. You wouldn't expect a heist movie to really do that. They build up sort of the caper, but not so much the world. Here, Michael Mann does such an incredible job of doing that. And I think it's building a world in a way that makes sense for a Batman movie, because each of these individual people who are like either a part of the heist or the cops, you could totally see how that would work perfectly for like a Gotham. Just Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Building up all these people and doing a great job of it. And yeah, I even the first time seeing it, I really do agree this is a phenomenal film. Um, and it is probably the last great performance from Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. They've done a few sparse things since this that have been all right. Yeah, they'll pop up here and there, but, I mean, yeah. this they're at the top of their game here. I mean, the scene with them in the diner, which, I don't know if you, I mean, I see you've done some research on it, but they weren't even in the same place at the same time. Well, no, that's not true, actually. They were oh, in the same not. place. The thing is, if you watch it in pan and scan, like if you've ever watched it on television, it sure. sort of makes it look like they aren't, but they were in the same place at the same time. It's just, this is important because this is the I first mean? time they had actually shared a scene together, mm-hmm. even though they had been in, like, Godfather Part Two together, but obviously because of the nature of that movie and the right, timelines, right. they didn't actually share any scenes. What a fucking fantastic scene. It's a phenomenal scene, yeah. I, I mean, completely agree. It's world-class acting, American-style acting on display. I mean... It's just, it's so fantastic. It really acknowledges the duality of the two characters, which I think is the mm-hmm. thing that really interested me so much, is the fact that it's its very much in that sort of Batman-Joker dynamic of we're not so different Absolutely. than I. This is what Absolutely. happens when an unstoppable force meets an unmovable object. There's a, a lot of switch that... that was turned. They're right. not that different. One of them just took a left when the other one took a right. Right, because they both have that same determination and dedication to their roles to the point where it ruins their personal lives in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, um, but it's all for either, you know, being this guy who's super into trying to catch this criminal, or this criminal who's super into trying to get this heist going, get out he of wants his... to get out of the life. Yeah, he right. wants it, out. And exploring a lot of the themes that man explored in earlier movies, like I also, after watching this over Memorial Day weekend, when we were um, watching our features, I did sort of like a Michael Mann marathon of stuff like Thief, which I hadn't seen before, and The Insider. I like Thief. And yeah. when, when you watch Thief, which was his first film, you see a lot of the early examples of this stuff. Like, James Caan sure. is basically a proto-version of Robert De Niro's character here. Um, yes, but, absolutely. But I think Robert De Niro is, like, the perfect crystallization of that because you do kind of feel for him in a weird way. There is sort of an investment in him just in terms of he's a guy who's good at his job. It's just that his job involves fucking ripping people off. But I would say it's him. that perfect switch that... Of a character, once he meets the woman, then that's it. Then you start to feel for him. For then, he's just a dirty criminal. But once you see a little bit of humanization of him, to where he is a normal guy, he's not just a, he's got layers to his character. Then you start to feel for him. Right, and, and you also can see that he—it's weird where he doesn't. Obviously, there have been, there are certain points in the movie where he has his uh, cohorts. And they're killed off, and he just doesn't mm-hmm. care. But you can tell he respects their ambition, like Val Kilmer. You can tell he has yes. like a, he really respects the ambition there. And the sort of scene where he's bargaining with Ashley Judd's character, his wife, uh, Val mm-hmm. Kilmer's wife's character, um, is it's really interesting. Which is like, look, I know he's an asshole. I'm not saying he's not, but give him another chance. And right. if he fucks up, I'll I'll pay you off. I'll do whatever. Right. And the, the, yeah, he's go really, home. Go it, home. It, it's the go. It's the whole thing of you sort of invest in somebody who's really good at their job, even if it is right. something this terrible. It's it's fascinating to watch. And you mentioned the supporting cast. We, we talked about what like even last week about how many times it's just like, oh, there are certain people that pop up. This movie is literally just like, holy fuck, you're here! Holy fuck, you're here! Like uh-huh. I didn't know Natalie Portman was in this movie at all. It's an amazing cast. Ted Levine, Wes Duty, 
Xander Berkeley. I mean, it just goes on and on. I mean, it's just what a great cast, and they all do really good in it. And they all have very memorable moments. Like this is an early, this is an early role for Danny Trejo, and that whole scene yep. where he's like on the ground bleeding. It's just like oh, oh God, what a horrible him, scene. And the makeup is so terrifying. It looks I like he's really just like beat to shit. And just oh bad. my god. <laughs> It's it's so brutal, uh, but mm-hmm. it, it, that's another scene where you kind of can see it from De Niro's perspective. Of he wants to get him a medic, but he just realizes like, nah, this guy's he ain't making it. He he's gets dead. Like a mercy kill. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, but other people, including um, Kevin Gage as mm-hmm. uh, Wayne Grow, who really what sticks a out. Piece of shit. Yeah, a wonderful character you oh, love to yeah. hate to the point where oh, when okay. Kevin Gage actually went to prison in like 2003, everybody called him Wayne Grow. Because he was just made that I much of an impression. Apparently, he did in 2003. Yeah. He was in Broke jail forever. Jesus. And they called him Wayne Grow. Uh, but yeah, he is such a contemptible, perfect oh, piece yeah, of shit. You hate him. You hate him. Even from the second you meet him, because you're almost siding with the criminals, and he's just fucking up the whole time. Like they're so planned, they got everything down to the letter, and he's just calling his own shots. And you're like, oh yeah, this guy's just a fucking asshole. And then when he gets into it with what he does, you're like, oh, this, oh, kill him. God damn it, kill this guy. And, uh, yeah, he gets it. <laughs> you know? And Henry Rollins. Way to go, Henry Rollins, by the way. Yes, uh, Henry Rollins also popping up. William Fitchner, another thing to add to I the Dark Knight belt of I things. I love um, in, in terms of, uh, home, I wonder why he showed up as the bank manager in the Dark Knight. Right, you know? exactly. Hmm. Adds even more to that. Um... Also, Hank Azaria shows up. I had no idea he was in this movie either. And he's great in terms of reacting off Al Pacino's uh, big scene oh, we mentioned. Pacino yeah. is crazy in this movie. He's crazy. He's so good, though. I mean, honestly, was was Al Pacino... I mean, dude, it was so good. It was so good. It was so fun watching Al Pacino in this movie. Just the way he acted and the way he was just crazy. You could sit here in my wife's excess with bullshit modern motif house but you cannot watch my television <laughs> and shout out to xander berkeley yeah. just as as the ralph character um who <laughs> is just like sitting there awkward like i don't, I don't even know what to do <laughs> super awkward situation um also a real credit to i was surprised by how much the the female characters were actually pretty interesting in this movie because it's very much a male-dominated cast but i really mm. liked especially um people like ashley judd that whole scene where Val Kilmer shows up and she gives him the silent direction of just like don't come uh-huh. in, don't come in, yeah. and all that. You felt you felt bad for her, yeah. Like you really did because she loved him. I mean that was it. But because he's such a fucking criminal and a fuck up, she was out, you know, messing around or whatever it is because she had nobody there. He was always gone, but she still loved it. Yeah, and you and you can tell that she even has that trepidation about like, did I convince him? Did it work with like the cops that are mm-hmm. showing up that are like talking to each other over the walkie-talkie, and that Val Kilmer actually made it work and is on his way out? It, it's it's uh, pretty phenomenal, just how yeah, that was. or even also uh, Diane Venora uh, as Hannah's wife, who's just tired. I love how tired oh, yeah. she looks when she just oh, says, yeah. about, like, this is your game. This is what you do. You chase criminals. That's all you want. It, it, you can tell she just lived this life and is so mm-hmm. bitter about it. Oh, she's been there, and he's this—he's this cop who deals with the most horrible shit. But she just wants to know more about what he does. But he's sparing her by not telling her. So it's just this is really this conflict that nobody's willing to budge on. It was really, really good. Where it's yeah. like you know, okay, I'll come home. I'll show you. Hey, I two crackheads, and they microwave me. Let's share. I want to share that with you. <laughs> like, oh fuck, man! I'm so happy that you that you've seen this movie now. No, yeah, and especially like let's let's talk about some of the actual craft of some of the directions. Like you mentioned, the sure. bank heist scene, probably mm-hmm. the most famous scene of the entire movie. And it's it's interesting. I knew the scene was a pretty big part of it, and I was worried that maybe a modern context might shed some different light on it. Given mm-hmm. it's just like it's a scene of like obviously like public gun violence, but it yeah. honestly only made it more effective because I've heard I some people say that it's like <laughs> oh it's this most badass scene. It's a terrifying scene 
Oh, it's, it's, it's horrible. Of, you're immediately caught up in the horror of just, like, these guys wielding these weapons in this public crowd. You really oh, feel the, the improvised sort of terror on especially the extra work in this movie. With yeah, people, absolutely. Just background people immediately getting you grounded in this horrible situation. Like, even Al Pacino going around, people are like, don't know what to do, so they're getting up in front of him. They don't know how to act uh-huh. in a crisis situation like this. And he's just trying to shoo them out of the way. It's a perfect way of both just giving you a sense of terror and also working for Robert De Niro as a criminal because you get the idea that he immediately did this just so he could get a distraction for Al Pacino who mm-hmm. wouldn't shoot these innocent people in the way. Absolutely. I mean, and they were just opening fire all over the place and with no regard to anyone else. It, it's been emulated before, I think, in one of the Grand Theft Auto games even. They, oh, there's they, so much of this feels like, especially like GTA V, any of the yes. highest missions you've ever yeah. played. Exactly. exactly. This it was the exact yeah. scene um, because it's that good. It, you don't there's no place where you're like oh it's so action packed you're like holy shit this is going on look at the fucking collateral damage that's happening look at the people who are getting killed oh my god it, it's there's no point to where you're rooting for either side you just want it to stop because yes. it's so horrible yeah and even like a lot of the early stuff like even the early heist scene I really want to talk about because that's the one that feels the most sort of like what Chris Nolan sort of ripped for The Dark Knight. Because it's just like you get the meticulousness of, of the planning, you get them in the hockey masks, mm-hmm. all this other stuff that really showcases the fact that like these guys have a plan, they stick to it, and when they have to improvise, it doesn't end up working. It ends up kind of fucking them over with like how they shoot those innocent bystanders at a certain point, and Pacino comes back and it's just like, they didn't want to leave any witnesses. They knew that if they, why leave a live one if they were going to mouth off to him like this? It, it mm-hmm. really showcases their usual meticulousness that when they do screw up, it kind of gives the police a hint at where they might be and who they could be. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, like I said, I, I, I can talk. This fucking movie, man. I, I've, oh my God. When my wife and I first got together, she was like, you know, Knew I was really into films and stuff, and she is too, but not to the point where I am. And she's like, you know, show me a couple movies. So I showed her this, Blade Runner, and I, uh, Last of the Mohicans. And Heat was the one she came away, and she's like, that was just so beautiful. The way it's filmed, the musical score. I mean, dude, the way this movie is filmed with the um, widescreen shots that they did, especially like... Where it's Neil and uh, God, I can't remember the character's name, the the nurse, where they're sitting on the hill outside her house, and I mean it's just gorgeous. This movie is gorgeous. There's there's shit in this movie for everyone. There, there's stuff that like really genuinely chills you to the bone, like the whole scene where he goes over to um, the woman who's been shot, and her her mother comes to mm-hmm. the crime scene. And he just has to, like, hug her and try and calm her down. Oh, that was horrible. No, yeah, the one Wayne Grove killed. Yeah. Right. It, it's such oh, a it's brutal, horrible. like, it chills your spine. So yes, absolutely. It it's, it, it especially, it gets you immediately invested in Pacino at the mm-hmm. same time. Because it's like, this is a dude has to deal with that shit, like, every day. And he treats, mm-hmm. like, he sees a dead body and just sees it's like, oh, it's another day at the office. And then he has to right. console somebody who's lost their loved one. Their child. Yeah. Their child, Jesus. yeah. It's so brutal, and it really hurts, and it makes you still invested, but also, you know that as things go along, Pacino's also a guy who does shit all the time that, like, you know, screws over his wife, screws over his, you know, family all the time, but there's just that investment in catching these people that makes you immediately Uh invested in them at the same time. But who's your favorite sort of smaller appearance that shows up in here? I really, really like John Voight in this. Uh Um, I'm not a John Voight fan. But just for some reason, I don't know if it's his hair and the way they did his makeup where he had, like, the sunburned skin where he was constantly, like, real pot-marky or whatever. I just thought he was really cool. Um, Jeremy Piven was good in it for his one scene. That's the mob doctor, yes. That's the mob doctor. He was really good. Um, I really like Ted Levine in this, though, as uh, Al Pacino's one partner. Mm-hmm. Um, only because... As I'm sure most people, Ted Levine is Buffalo Bill. But to see him as this, it's like, it kind of throws you off a little bit. I, I just remember, I've always remembered Ted Levine in this. And then when he, uh, what ultimately happens to him, I actually kind of like felt bad for him. Yeah, he's the only guy amongst the like cops that actually does die like that. It's, mm-hmm. 
it's it's interesting and how brutal that is. And also just certain things that like make sense for like Ted Levine as an actor. Like apparently his whole story that he talks about like oh, when I was in third grade with his friend that was apparently based on something that actually happened to him, and it was completely improvised. And they were playing around right. like a bunch of moments like that. Like the great ass scene is also completely improvised, and Hank Azaria didn't know right. what the fuck was going on, <laughs> which oh, you can see. Oh yeah. <laughs> Who's your favorite? Um, I would say amongst the smaller people, um, I really like Bud Court as the guy who runs the diner that's in on everything. I, yeah, I thought that, that that's, that's a really like nice smaller role that really like immediately it's another one of those roles that like you love what an hate asshole for yeah. Him. yeah um and speaking of him uh also i want to bring i can't think of his fucking name i because i didn't look but Allstate. state dennis um, haysbert yes he's really good and you feel really bad for him too oh right, his whole scene where he just like yeah what you pro- well just the what are you proud of me for mm-hmm. and it's like and then he just goes right back to it and then of course he's the first one to get it They're like oh fuck in that great scene where his girl was at the bar, and then he looks up, she looks up at the TV just like he was shot, and you uh-huh. just hear the bartender like, Miss, Miss, can I help you? Oh, yeah, she knows right away it was him. Yeah, yeah. awful. Perfectly done. Awful. I honestly think this was also one of Val Kilmer's last great performances, because uh, Val Kilmer started getting, you know, weird with what he was doing and everything. I, I think this is... Is this pre or post Batman Forever? I'm not too sure. They I actually think was... shot this at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, post Batman Forever, Val Kilmer has done zero of note. I mean, in all honesty. Um, and in this movie, as Chris, you get the idea that he is fucking crazy. He's functional sociopathic. That's the idea I got from him, where he will go and do whatever the hell it takes to do the most heinous shit, but... He loves his wife and kid. I would also like to bring Kiss Kiss Bang Bang to the table. To oh, God, he's zero. so good at that movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it's I a brief that wasn't flip that much on longer radar. after this. Well, three years it's about after. ten years after. But was it ten years? Yeah, 2005 was when they did Holy uh, shit. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So okay, so that was the last one. <laughs> <laughs> but he's really good in this movie. He's really good. And you definitely get a sense of love between... Um, Macaulay and Chris. Mm-hmm. Like, also, they respect each other, they love each other. Yeah, I, I do agree, especially there's a there's just that sad moment where he's apparently, like, drunk really early in the morning at Robert De Niro's place, yeah. and he's just, like, super sad on the floor, and he's like, you need to get furniture. Yeah, I'll, I'll think about that. <laughs> it's just, I know, yeah. how cool of a scene where De Niro just, he, he, because of what he is, he has nothing set up for himself. He's got this beautiful house, but no furniture, everything's still in boxes, he... Because as the the diner scene we talked about, he is ready to move and disappear at a second's notice. He's ready to go. Right, and you can see just like how much that weighs on a guy. It's just you can't uh-huh. even have anything permanent. There's no stability at all. You uh-huh. just keep constantly moving. But there's just sort of adrenaline rush that he gets out of it at the same uh-huh. time, which really cap is especially capitalized in the phenomenal sort of like climax to final sequence of like where he's at the hotel. He kills Wayne Grove. Spoiler alert! Spo- yes, that's true. Spoiler for an over twenty year old movie. Right. Um, um, if uh, the, like just the the whole point of like where you see him going after Wayne Grove, but at the same time there's that building thing you see outside with uh, Amy Brennan, who we haven't talked about um, as his uh, girlfriend. She's really good, really good, especially in that scene where like you see her outside in the car and you just see mm-hmm. slowly it just dawns on her as everything keeps building up like something. She knows you- fucking Neil. God yep. damn it. He did something fucked up and it's and it's the fact that it's the temptation and that the police knew that's what he would want to do. That he'd want to go to that hotel and just get rid of that loose hey man, end. He almost pulled it off. Yeah. I mean he was he almost pulled it off. He was yeah. heading home, he was in the almost there at the airport, but he If he, he would just... not have turned around. If he yep. would not have turned around, he would have got away. Yes. Without question. God, what a good movie. God damn it, I'm so glad you watched this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also, talk about a bit more about the sort of actual climax at the airport, Adam. That final scene where they're going through the field and the lights from the airplanes or from the runway are, are clicking on and off, and you're just getting their shadow shots, and it's real close up on all both uh, Pacino and De Niro's faces. I think, what a tense, but such a great, like a... It almost reminded me of like a Western where they're drawn down on each other. But 
it's just and then when Pacino gets the last shot off and he goes and cradles Neil he goes and holds him you're like oh fuck because you almost get the idea that he killed a part of himself they weren't that far away from each other so now he's done he did it he did his last thing so now he's going to go back to his wife and his stepdaughter and hopefully you know take a desk job or whatever it's going to be or retire it is such a good fucking scene it's so impactful i love that scene what it's a, a great climax it's a great final shot too yes like his lifeless body and just the, the two shot of the two of them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. There's definitely a Western vibe to it. Definitely that's sort of almost like a Don Quixote thing of catching up to this guy. And you're, you just wonder at the end of it, like, did did this really, was this a good thing? Did, did I, mm-hmm. what, did what I do here really matter that much? Because I'm killing, like you mentioned, this big part of myself to, like, Al Pacino. That's what it really means. There's There's so much going on in that that makes the actual tension of it really palpable more than just the it's so well filmed but there's also like really something deep into that it's it is wonderful i completely agree now here's something interesting is that this movie was originally conceived by michael mann as a television Mm -hmm. series and they actually made this as la takedown which was a tv movie that was originally a pilot that didn't end up going anywhere but they released in 1989 i haven't seen that version but i'm curious uh, as someone who loves this movie so much do you think this would work as a series no i do not i think this is a one and done standalone film i'm so glad there was no sequel i mean what are you going to do with this in a series honestly well, once these characters they... have wrapped up you're done well probably this sort of like the climax especially would have probably been more like a series finale and probably would have been what it built to cuz the la takedown is apparently only 90 minutes long so I wouldn't be surprised if it's just so more of like a cat and mouse game stretched out between the two characters. Yeah, but do you want that? Not really, Not no. If you, no, I think the film is enough. I don't need to see it stretched out and stretched out and stretched out. It's done. It's a it's a great story for, what is this movie, two hours and 20 minutes? Something 250, like that. actually. It's closer to about three hours. Oh, Jesus. But, <laughs> but you okay. don't feel it. That's another great thing. No, you really don't. Okay, so damn near three-hour movie, but everything that needs to be said is said in three hours. Do you need ten hours of that in TV format? No. Um, interestingly, no. Mordecai is about an hour shorter and feels about three hours longer than this movie. Oh, is. 100%. <laughs> Wired is a fucking hour and a half shorter. <laughs> it feels like nine hours longer. No, I, I'm glad they didn't do a TV series. I'm glad there was no sequel. I know for a second there was talks of a sequel thank god thank god i i i think this movie is one of those that is just perfect for what it is when it was made who was in it and everything i do not think you could redo this movie now no and especially it's interesting that like they've attempted sort of capture that heat again by having say de niro and pacino have the righteous kill movie which if you ever saw that is a completely forgettable cop thriller that didn't even yes 100 percent and, was it fifty? Uh, was it fifty cent in that movie? I, I believe so. It's oh, one... God, there you go. <laughs> um, but hopefully they can recapture a bit of that with Scorsese's Irishman, which they're both poised to be in. Well, I hope so. I really do. I'll, I'll ask: What do you think is missing from later performances that's here with the, the two of them? They walk through it, man, and Pacino just like I mean, he overacts and everything. Once, look. Pacino had the problem when Son of a Woman came out, and he did that character in everything. Even in Heat, but it was still, there was a little twist on it to where it was still great. But now it's like Pacino just, he overacts in everything. I mean, dude, Jack and Jill, get the fuck out. What, you like a Dunkachino? Oh, God. (laughs) But then De Niro, De Niro, after, um, meet the parents started just doing comedies which i'm not saying he can't do comedies but that was it that's all he's done for the most part and he just doesn't give a shit anymore like he doesn't give a shit anymore he's relegating himself to either playing the tough dad or the you know uh old retired gangster mm-hmm. and that's to, it to the point where he played that in animated form in shark tale as a show oh my god 100 <laughs> percent I mean, 
<laughs> and um, I think it's worked sometimes, but it's been very rare. Like the last time I think it worked for him was like Silver Linings Playbook. But then even David O. Russell yeah, overused the shit out of him later. You know, he, he was good. Enjoy. He was he was good in the intern too. I never saw the intern. That was actually good. He, yeah, he was really good in that movie, actually. But that's about it. I mean, <laughs> he's Robert fucking De Niro. He's American acting royalty. I mean, he's right up there when guys talk about actors from America. There's, you know, Brando, De Niro. I mean, he's right up there. And the thing is, the guy's still going. He's still spry. He could still do it. But he just doesn't really give a shit anymore. What was sort of the point of no return for you with both of those actors? In terms of their later careers, they're just like, nah, they're not coming back. De Niro, it was Meet the Fockers. Okay. The sequel to Meet the Parents. And then Pacino. Oh, God. Everything post-heat? <laughs> it just was You know, I've seen a couple of his HBO movies that he's done. Like, he did the uh, Jack of Orchid movie and right. things like that. And he was really good in them. But mainstream movies I, I you know Pacino was pretty good in insomnia right but that's about it dude he hasn't put out anything that's been holy shit Pacino in a long time yeah I mean for me I would place it slightly earlier for De Niro in terms of, I would say the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie where he's oh, doing you're, where oh, he's doing God. you're talking to me that's that is God the moment where it's just like that. no that's He's, yeah. he's too far gone. Okay, um, well, I changed my answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then for Pacino, it's probably Geely. That was the most... Oh, Geely. Like, and what no. was the other one he did with the uh, the animatronic woman? Or the, Simone? Could, yeah, yes. that was pretty terrible, too. That was really bad. Though, I, you know, to also counter um, Post, I, I would still say stuff like Any Given Sunday or The Insider really showed him off. Like, a post he yeah, I'll give you that. I liked Any Given Sunday a lot. The Insider was okay, but yeah. Well, especially because I think what's missing is like even with the over-the-top moments in, say, Heat, I would say moments in here as well as a lot of The Insider is a lot more of his sort of grounded, quieter stuff. Not quite nasally Godfather mm. era or Serpico era, but um, you, you still there's a bit of grounding there as opposed to, say, a Devil's Advocate style thing, which... He's at least the most entertaining thing about Devil's Advocate. And it's I kind of like that movie, man. Almost worth watching the movie for. No, I agree. It's worth yeah. watching for Pacino. Yeah. God, it's an absentee landlord. Landlord! <laughs> <laughs> I dig on Devil's Advocate. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'll also say before we uh, go into our final thoughts, uh, just to circle back to Michael Mann, a big thing about this movie is that apparently it is super accurate to both the lives of the LAPD as well as professional criminals, mainly because Michael Mann arranged for cast members to meet with real-life detectives in L.A. and criminals in an exclusive restaurant. And they studied how those characters interacted, especially with their wives in their off time. Which is really fascinating. And even just certain things, like apparently the point where Val Kilmer cocks his gun while he's in the middle of the heist is apparently Mm -hmm. used or at least was used as a representation of how to do that for, like, military operatives, like, new incoming cadets. Really? Were, like, shown how to do that, and Val Kilmer really fucking loved the fact that that was the case. That's (laughs) awesome. Yeah, and you you can tell it really feeds into the authenticity of the movie. It really makes you feel immersed in this environment that these guys seem like they know what they're doing, and apparently really did. Hey, way to go. Yeah, no, dude, this was the... If you want to see... This cast, which, as we said, a phenomenal cast, at the top of their game, then this is the movie. Well, I and guess keep going that, with your final thoughts on that, Adam. Oh, we okay. Onward. Sorry. Well, hey. Hey, man. I quit. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I'm done. If, Put a fork in I'm me. Done. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see Pacino, De Niro, Kilmer, you know, Sizemore, all these guys at the top of their fucking game when they were the greatest actors out there. This is it. This is it. This is a perfect, to me, like I said, a perfect movie. Acted, filmed, scripted, shot, everything. There was an, I cannot pick out one thing about this movie where I'm like, eh, I get done without that. I love this movie. And I think everyone should love it, and everyone should like it. And if you don't, then I, you know what? Then I, I got nothing for you. 
That's why I'm on a cliff. <laughs> um, I echo a lot of those sentiments, but even just as a first-time viewer, what I really found fascinating is that the stain power of heat really isn't in sort of my worry going into it that like oh they're really aggrandizing these characters and this sort of like sort of macho machismo coming off of each other it's a great movie about really deconstructing the machismo of masculinity in yeah, a lot of great ways because the two of them are these characters who on their surface like badass criminal badass cop going against each other mano y mano I've seen plain movies that do oh absolutely more, All a much movies. lesser job of doing you know that kind of dynamic and here it really gets to the vulnerability of both those characters what they really want and they crave for but they can't because they're self-destructive people like apparently shocker Al Pacino said uh, later on that his character was under the influence of cocaine the entire movie I wonder if that might not be an acting decision and that was a method yeah. decision right. more than yeah. anything else but it does kind of feed into the self-destructive nature of both those characters, which is what really makes it interesting, because it is these two people that are going against each other because they don't have anything else to go against except themselves, so they lash out against each other as a representation of themselves, which is the perfect grounding for all this conflict that's so amazingly put together and all the tension that sparks from here. I do agree that I think it's definitely Michael Mann's best film. I might say I, I have a very deep spot for Collateral, uh, that was the I first like one I saw. I love Yeah, Collateral's it. great. Collateral's great. Collateral just Hollywoodized it too much for me at the end. I I, I, I mean, I can kind of see that, but also still, just like, I, I don't think, aside from Magnolia, Tom Cruise has not acted any better than there. I agree. Than there, for sure. But still, he is a just perfectly constructed movie. Really gets you engaged. All of the gunplay and fight sequences it doesn't glamorize it it really shows how brutal it is it really brings up the tension of all that it makes things that could be pretty cheap work perfectly like the whole scene where they take the kid hostage at the very end of all that uh-huh. it, it really just gets you super tense in this whole sequence it's like i said it's a it's a phenomenal movie i'm very glad i watched it and it's if you're concerned like i said about that runtime breezes by Easily the fastest 250 I've, I've had in a while. Um, in yeah, different movies. And can we just throw a shout out to how good Tom Sizemore used to be? Yes, uh, definitely. Shout out to Tom Sizemore's former acting career. <laughs> R.I.P. Tom Sizemore. R.I.P. Tom Sizemore's career. You're probably still alive. <laughs> I think I haven't seen you I, much I, lately. I'm <laughs> guessing. Last time I saw it was it's always sunny. So yes. Well, that is the end of our discussion. For the evening, see, we had a lot to talk about with Heat, and not as much to talk about with Mordecai. Um, that saved you a bit of time. <laughs> but uh, before we go, we need to read some feedback. Uh, this one from Brian Davis, who says, Love the double-edged double bill. Listen to the first one today. Thank you, Brian. We deeply appreciate that. Brian, you're a good man. You're a trucker. I know that. Drive safe, buddy. Yes, drive safely. Just make sure stay awake! If you listen to this right now. Um, we also want to thank Chris Oliver for the music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Yes. <laughs> and um, also can give us some feedback on uh, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. Make sure to mail us. We would love to hear anything you guys have to say. Criticism about the show. Also just any questions you might have. Any suggestions for topics. We're also open to at any point. Um, and you can also send those if you get Twitter at D-E-D-B pod or you can also follow us individually at not the who's Tommy or Adam god damn it Malekith fan 6969 doesn't get old or also <laughs> we should mention uh, since we recorded this we have started a Facebook page that is double edge double bill out there yes you can go ahead and like us on the Facebooks if you're still there if Mark Zuckerberg's actions have not driven you away you but can like goddamn us robot <laughs> we are not Russian bots yet um, but you can uh, like us there and we'll post all of our stuff here and a very important announcement is that after a long delay that we apologize for we are now on iTunes yes now you can subscribe and rate and review us to give the show more visibility we would really appreciate all of that because with every star rating and review it gets us out there into the ether a bit more so please subscribe and make sure you just uh, just drop us a, a brief review or a brief star rating and we'd really greatly appreciate it and yeah unless there's anything else adam we got a job to do 
Good night.